And where did I sell my first table? Oregon. Yeah, of course. Right? Not in Vermont, not in New York, in Oregon. <laughs> so I then frantically build my first farm table unknowingly to my first customer. And I have this table sitting in my garage, in a two-car garage in my house, going, how am I supposed to get this to Oregon? From Vermont Center for Emerging Technologies, it's Start Here, a podcast sharing the stories of active, aspiring, and accidental entrepreneurs. Today, we're joined by Dustin Glasgow, founder of Vermont Farm Table, a forward-thinking company that perfectly marries our state's history of handcrafted goods with the future of cutting-edge technologies. Welcome. This is Sam Roach-Gerber and Dave Bradbury, recording from the Consolidated Communications Technology Hub in downtown Burlington, Vermont. Dustin Glasgow. Hello. Good afternoon. It's Thank an honor to be here with you guys today. Oh my God. Welcome back. I'm Thanks. already Welcome. I'm already tearing Getting up. Teary? I already have yeah. tears in my eyes. Dustin's here to make our Valentine's Day extra special this year, so no big let's deal. Let's go for it. No pressure. Um, well, I personally know this answer, but our, our listeners don't. Um, what is Vermont Farm Table? Uh, tell us about your products and what makes them unique. Sure. Vermont Farm Table is ultimately a um, continuation of a craft that's been in our civilization for hundreds of years. At the heart of it, we're a woodworking company. Um, we design real furniture with solid wood using real materials in our own state-of-the-art facility in Bristol, Vermont. Um, at the end of the day, we focus on tables predominantly. We like to focus on the quality of our raw materials, and we focus on the values that can impact our team, customers, and the society as a whole. Um, Vermont Farm Table deploys a direct business model, meaning that we sell directly to our end customers and not through other wholesalers or third parties. Um, we're currently celebrating our 10th year in business. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. 10 years. 10 years. Does that feel like holy shit, or are you kind of like, yeah, it's... Blink of an eye? <laughs> you know, I think it's uh, it's one of those things when your dreams come true, do you realize it? <laughs> so I remember sitting back wondering what we would be 10 years ago. And uh, I w- you know, had all these dreams and aspirations of how big we would be and what facilities we would own and how many employees we might have and what our revenue figures would be and who would know Vermont Farm Table in the world. And here we are. We're there. And um, the... And it's been a wonderful journey with uh, lots of challenges and surprises along the way. And that's something I have to remind myself constantly is that um, here we are. We've, we've done what we set out to do, and I feel like we just got started. Wow. So you were that deliberate on the, on the outset saying, you know, we, we want to build this. I, I left my corporate career in 2004 and relocated to Vermont with uh, no plans in sight. What, what was your corporate career? I worked in uh, the building materials industry and marketing. Gotcha. And, um, and so my wife and I, my wife Jessica and I are founders of Vermont Farm Table. And uh, almost 11 years ago, we both threw our careers to the wind. No plans. We picked up and we moved to Vermont. Um, she told her employer I had a gig. I told my employer she had a gig, and we landed here. <laughs> Most and great things panicked. are built on lies. Yeah. So yeah, congratulations. <laughs> fake it till you make it. Yeah. Fake it till you make it. Yeah. You need to have a little, you know, kick in the ass, and and not having income is certainly one way to do that. It's a big one. Yeah, and um, and so I, you know, I ultimately saw in the state of Vermont a lot of opportunity. I saw both uh, the business environment. You know, I I saw quote unquote the environment, the opportunity for myself. Um, 
the type of business I wanted to form really aligned with the values of the state of Vermont and, um, and the physical environment. So there was, um, there was this innovative, creative environment that I assumed was here because of companies that I was familiar with and their firm values. And then um, there was just the physical and physical environment and the respect for the environment at the state level and the community level um, here. So when we moved to Vermont, I moved here with a 30-year plan. Um, so it's never been a short-term vision for me. It was to start a business that we could, we could have forever that we could look back and all Vermonters would be proud of. Um, and, and one of the things, sorry to interrupt that, you know, I, that I bought into right away with the brand was you, you and Jess, and I think it's pretty obvious that you both have back, backgrounds in marketing. Um, when you talk to you, to you guys and when you see your products and your website and your messaging and all of that, but the sort of thread has always been bringing people together. That's sort of your, um, your sort of drive behind the brand and, and why you're doing it. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, you got to Vermont you wanted to live here. You, the business environment was right for what you guys had in mind. But how did you sort of say, okay, this is the thing we're going to do? What, what did that look like? You know, I'd actually generally hatched the plans for Vermont Farm Table before we moved here, but I didn't realize it. And one of our products that we just introduced in the past month was one of the founding ideas for Vermont Farm Table. Um, but I knew I wanted to be, I wanted to work with my hands. I wanted to blend a craft and I want craft and technology. And, um, and I didn't really know what it was other than that. At, at the time I was doing a lot of work in search engine optimization, um, for a building materials, um, wholesaler. And I was looking at the number of searches per day for this commodity product that, um, 87% of households own. And, um, and I was really into the whole farm-to-table movement. I've, I've got a chef background. I, I really care about bringing people together. I care about sitting down to family meals at night. And, um, and, I said, and, I, and my dad's a custom home builder. I grew up on a farm in North Carolina, and I grew up working with my hands, and I grew up building um, you know, pretty high-end, I guess you would call it, but finely crafted homes, one-of-a-kind kind of projects. So I was surrounded by a, an artisan and creator community as, as a youth. And I knew that I wanted to blend that some way, but I, I didn't want to work. I didn't want to be a studio crafter. I knew I didn't want to build tables or any kind of furniture for the rest of my life or anything for that matter. I, I knew I'd get bored with it and I wanted a larger challenge. Um, and so during that search engine optimization work, I started looking at um, farm tables. I was quite honestly, it's the classic story. I was shopping for one and I couldn't find the one I wanted. And um, my dad had built me a farm table years ago when he had a sh offshoot of his company where he decided to build furniture for a year or two and it ultimately fell flat and it went nowhere but there was this beautiful table and I looked at it and I said you know that's the kind of table I think people are looking for there's nothing fancy about it it's traditional materials it's natural lines it's balanced proportions um, there's nothing particularly innovative about it whatsoever it's just a classic and, um, and it's, it's really hard to find those classics. And so at the time I was looking, you know, in the broader sphere and it was companies like Ikea and Pottery Barn and any host of other kind of national brands or a whole network of local crafters. And I knew that, you know, that was a difficult proposition for um, a lot of folks in my cohort. They wanted a fine piece of furniture but they didn't want to buy the Pottery Barn table, and they certainly weren't going to take the time to work with a small, medium-sized kind of local craftsperson. So the idea was really born around um, 
kind of blending those two models together where we could bring to scale a mass customized studio craft feel. Um, and then as I started looking at the search terms, um, you know, I was working for a $500 million company and the search terms for farm tables at the time were half what this $500 million company's search terms were on a monthly basis for their most popular keyword. Wow. So there was clearly a lot of opportunity there in the market and there was demand for in the market. That's crazy. And so how did you get the, the production side going? You know, you're in a, you're in a, advanced manufacturing sort of environment now in, in Bristol. Was it always there or, or was it in a garage or a couple of uh, storage sheds? Yeah, so th- there's the uh, crux of the business model, right? You decide that you want to build furniture and you have no tools. And um, so I, I, I started networking instantly. I, I built a website. I didn't launch it immediately, and um, I said, okay, I've gotta, I'm going to have to find a network of crafters. And this was in 2008, 2009. The housing downturn was, was in full effect and well-recognized. And I was putting together a business plan to invest a couple of hundred thousand dollars into a wood shop, one of which I had never done, never run, and I, quite frankly, was not that great of a woodworker. Um, and so I'm going, this is crazy. I live in the state of Vermont, a place known for its fine furniture production, and we're in the middle of an economic recession. Um, there has to be 10 people within 10 miles of me right now that have the equipment that I need to produce the product that I want to produce. So my minimum viable product idea was basically the website with the marketing content and a couple and a network of local producers to help me make so the get first the order. Few then you'd, you'd go build it and, and deliver it. What was the what was the turnaround time back then? It was it was actually the same as it is today. It was four to six weeks. Great. Yeah. Great. We um, the first table. So the the origin story briefly was uh, we I put the website live. I directed five hundred unique visits to it day one. Within the first week, I sold my first table. And then it was go time. Panic. Panic, Panic ensues. Uh, how am I? And, and where did I sell my first table? Oregon. Yeah, of course. Right? Not in Vermont, not in New York, in Oregon. So I then frantically build my first farm table unknowingly to my first customer. And I have this table sitting in my garage, in a two-car garage at my house, going, how am I supposed to get this to Oregon? Well, and, and shipping's always been just a total breeze, right? Nothing oh, ever yeah. goes wrong yeah, in shipping yeah. furniture. Shipping furniture. PTSD yeah. over here. Yeah. I'm fine. Everything's <laughs> fine. <laughs> um, um, go ahead, Dave. That's okay. You've got it. This no, is really... It sounded uh, like Any former employees of yours that you, you, you know, found memorable through the years... You know, I, I, I remember every single one of them, and especially there's one near and dear to me at this moment in time, in full disclosure, Sam Gerber Roach now. Roach Gerber. Roach Gerber. Sam, still- Sam Roach Gerber now. And <laughs> you just had one to remember. Was one of, our, one of our original employees, and uh, she has since gone on, and her career has blossomed. And- <laughs> All because of Vermont Farm Table. That's right. I mean, you guys had membership here early days when we just opened it, consolidated uh, this you facility, did. which was I, which was really great. Keep I, the overhead low, right? Yep. Yeah. No, it was a perfect facility for us. I actually missed the days of being here. Um, yeah. I Come was, back. We have a lot of larger companies yeah. here now that just need to get away. Or they have their innovation teams. So sure. um, I was trying to figure out how to do outbound sales. Good times. Good times. Not right. my strong suit. You know. We called. I think we called you the polymath. <laughs> like the. <laughs> 
Chief of we put you in every position. Sam, yeah. you're head of the shop now. The popular title now is chief of staff. Chief of staff, yeah, right. So yeah. chief of everything, yeah. kind of thing, um, I, which I, is which is great. I remember telling Sam in the early days. I said, if you want certainty, then go somewhere else. <laughs> if you want a fun time and a lot of uncertainty and adventure, then stick with a startup. And I and I I learned to to hang in uncertainty thanks to Dustin, and it is serving me quite well currently. Seriously, right? I think it's important because. Um, a lot of times, you know, you can really prove to yourself what you don't want to be and do or as a career and working for a, an early stage company and where everything is depending upon the orders of the week or day and the, the, the emotional ups and downs. Um, it definitely is not for everybody. I well, think that's one of those valuable things our college students and young adults get when they, they try I always uh, tell our, our college students to get experience with startups when they can because it's true. You they're they're doing everything. You have to do everything, and there's nothing like you know a few years of customer service and sales to really right. uh, you know break it down and build you back up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I tried being a stockbroker in college, right? Just to try different careers, yeah. but I didn't want to do it because I had to wear socks, and I just couldn't get over committing to wearing socks every day of my <laughs> professional life. So here we are. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> here we are. Yeah. But let's uh, let's talk sales, okay? So you yeah, th- sure. threw it up, and you, you've tried different channels, right? You've had storefronts, direct-to-consumer, websites. Like, what, what lessons did you learn, and where sort of does the market require you to be today? You know, we've always been malleable. I, I didn't start Vermont Farm Table with any firm ideas about what we did and didn't want to be. Um, so we're... Uh, we're constantly evolving. And I say that's um, even this year alone, we have decided to close down our retail stores and we haven't exited retail fully and forever, but for this current time and place, it's not the right decision for Vermont farm table. Um, and I look forward to um, the day when it is. And we had a lot of good time and it made a lot of great relationships and had our finger on the pulse of our customer at the retail environment. Um, but, you know, channel really goes back to e-commerce. I mean, originally, we we get um, we get a lot of credit, surprisingly, in and around the industry for our ability to take a website and sell furniture. And I constantly remind people that that's not actually how we sell furniture. We do it the same way that you guys do and everyone else in the industry. We build relationships. We do the tried and true uh task of any business is required to, to step through. And, um, and we actually spend very little in digital marketing and digital advertising. Um, most people feel like that is our secret sauce and that's where we're converting. And that's, was the source of our growth. But what was the source of our growth was just building a great product with great customer referrals and organic word of mouth. Every year we put out more and more product and more and more people talked about us. Um, We've now been able to unlock more channels. We, we've tried different things, as you mentioned. We tried wholesale. Um, we went to a trade show in New York City. We were, quite honestly, one of the hits there. I spent five days with a line of 10 to 20 people by the booth constantly, eight hours a day, just taking orders. We signed up somewhere around 275 of the most prime wholesale accounts you could across the United States. And a year later, we cut the business because it wasn't the right customer base for us. We weren't the right fit for that model. And it's not who we were at our heart and soul, and it's not where our opportunity was financially. Um, and we're not afraid to, to 
to kind of break things down and start again. Right. And, um, and that's one of the things that I've, I've done in my life. And I have to remind myself almost, I have to remind myself constantly in the business that it's okay to do that in the earlier years, the bigger you get, the harder that becomes. But in the earlier years, it was nothing just to go into the retail store one night and go, I'm not filling it and just rip everything off the walls. Or every <laughs> night. Or, or every day. once every yeah. two weeks. Yeah. And just change it, you know, just keep tweaking it. And, um, and that happens with systems and processes. It happens with uh, product designs. Um, but you have to remind yourself that sometimes you just have to get the garbage out. You have to break right. it all down. Right. You have to build it back up again based on your new knowledge and your new experience. And you have to do it better, um, you know. At what yeah. point does that become more difficult to do? I mean, you sort of alluded to it that, you know, either you're more responsible for uh, your employees, right? There's there's overhead and mouths to feed, or you've got investment in equipment. And, you know, is it instead of daily, is it now, you know, once a year, twice a year? Is, you know, is it – I'm just kind of curious what the inflection point is. Either maybe you hit a certain sales level that – you said, you know, gosh, we're kind of grown up now. We're, we're in our late teen years, maybe. Um, yeah. Do you recall? You know, it's it's certainly, uh, well, I guess the, the further along you go, the better the systems are that you do get in place. So the less that you need to kind of have these radical transformations. We're in the early developmental years. Um, we were trying to figure out who we are and how we do business and what systems and processes we need. So what I, what I can speak to is that as we've developed and learned more, we put in better systems each time we put in a new system and they're less likely to be torn down unless there's a significant change in the business's direction. Um, and then I guess the other piece of it with scale is that, um, you just can't do everything. There's so much to do on any given day, on any given week that you, you just have to choose what you're going to bite off. And that's one of the piece of, pieces of advice that I gave to my wife, Jessica, when she first joined the company. She left seventh generation after seven or eight years there working in sales and marketing and brand. And she joined the company. And I believe on day one, I said, you have to choose your pace. Everyone's going to tell you that you can do more. Everyone's going to tell you that you're not doing enough. Everyone's going to tell you that you're focused on the wrong things. And if you carry that home with you every night, then you'll just absolutely wear yourself out. You have to choose the pace that's right for you. You have to maintain that pace, and you have to have confidence in it. Um, and that's that's a tough right. lesson. I, I still have to I, weekly. I have to remind myself that that I can't get everything done. I can't let every. I can't get everything done. So it's, that was something I was going to ask. Dustin, is that, you know, I just remember from the earlier days, it was like, you know, only having one Dustin was always a sort of an, an issue because we had the retail store, we had the wood shop, we, you know, you have this, this family that needs you most. And, um, you know, your role, I had seen sort of ebb and flow and shift around sort of different parts of the business. Can you talk a little bit about sort of your role throughout the years, you know, now at year 10 and, and how as the company's grown, how your role as sort of founder, CEO has sort of changed and how you've sort of decided, you know, like you said to Jess, like what to break off and what to sort of focus on? Yeah, it's a great question. I'm, um, I presently find myself in the position of reinventing my role at the company. Um, I recent, we recently hired a COO that effectively replaced the day job that I was doing company-wide. Um, and so I've been in a, a 
stance of reflection as well as forward-looking vision, um, really kind of assessing where I head next and how I can lead and provide vision to the company um, the strongest. Um, you know, that was the challenge over the years is um, being a visionary or an entrepreneur who decides that they're going to take on this task is no easy um, is no easy hill to climb, and you really have to do it all. Um, but what's been really exciting over the years as we've developed is as we bring in talented new people to our team and just watching those folks rise up and take the reins. And I've never been one that's, I've never been really a control freak of any sort. I don't need to maintain ownership in the company. In fact, I want to let it go as soon as I possibly can, as when we can with the right team. Um, and that's where we find ourselves today is that it's, um, you know, we're 20 employees today. Um, it's, it's not about me on the day to day. It's, it's, I'm, I'm helping set vision. I'm helping lead and develop the team. Um, I'm doing a lot more financial planning and accounting, um, (laughs) than I wish I were. Yeah. (laughs) Count a lot of beans on the weekends, uh, trying to find the errors and reports and, um, that's a high class problem though for a business to have, yeah. right? <laughs> Normally it's like what's in the revenue side and is yeah. there enough? And yeah. now you get to tune the model and and plan. Yeah. And it's can you talk a little bit too about building that team? Like twenty twenty people's, you know, that's significant. I mean, it sounds like you have some really great leaders, so you can step back and reassess your role. You know, for a long time you couldn't do that because you're so deep. Um, but can you just talk about sort of how you found those people? You know, are they abundant in Vermont? Did you have to go out of state? Did they come to you? Sort of what has that process looked like? Yeah. It's, uh, so we have we have any manner of positions at Vermont Farm Table, anywhere from entry-level woodworkers through skilled manufacturing positions and, um, you know, and administrative office personnel as well and computer technology, sales, marketing, and customer service. And, um, you know, Vermont's a small community, and I'm personally, my radar is always on. I'm always looking for someone that looks like they have what it takes regardless of where I bump into them. It could be someone at, um, at a restaurant that's just a really phenomenal waiter or waitress, and I take note of it. Um, and so I'm always really planting seeds for the long term. Um, we've been very fortunate, and I'm, I, I'm one that's open to serendipity in life in general. And um, we put the energy out there, and the energy is returned to us. And um, we've got a phenomenal staff right now. I can unequivocally say that we would rehire every single person on our team. That's um, awesome. That has not always been the case. And, you know, we also have a... I think, he's, I think that was a dig, Sam. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> Burn. <laughs> not always. <Ooh. laughs> I'm um, fine. Yeah, yeah. Tissues. Yeah. Tissue box. It's empty. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Um, Already? That's so we've, um, it's, uh, we have an informal board of advisors currently that's a pretty strong board of um, loosely nine to 10, 12 folks that will join us on a quarterly basis. And through that network, we've had a couple of referrals that have become employees. Um, but our team's relatively new, with the exception of um, myself. Jessica and one other employee, everyone currently is under two years at Vermont Farm Table or less. The legendary Noah Burke. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Noah Burke. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you talk a little bit about um, the customer experience and how that maybe has changed here just in the last few years? How they're shopping? Are they shopping any differently um, than they were a few years ago? And, and what's that look like? You know, our, our customer, um, 
I'd answer that in, in two different answers. Um, the, we've, we service both the residential and commercial sectors. And so those are two different customer types generally. Um, the s- second one, the commercial sector, is new to us as of the past 18 months. Um, but on the residential side, it's, the, it's a little sad to say, but it, in 10 years of operating an e-commerce business, the sales process really hasn't changed that much. It's a lot of work. We built a – it is a lot of work. It's a very uh, – High touch, high touch uh, sales environment. It's and, a surprisingly um, emotional purchase. I always found mm-hmm. for folks, it is. Yeah. And you're buying something. You're buying a two to three thousand dollar typical table, sight unseen, off of a website from a team that you've never met. You've never seen it in a store. You maybe were fortunate enough to see it in someone's home that you're friends with, but probably not. Um, but we exceed folks' expectations almost every single product that we send out the door. So even whatever they've built up in their minds of what they're expecting, we get consistent follow-up on almost every single purchase that it is nicer, better, and they're happier with it than they could have expected to be. Um, Fantastic. The the online sales process, though, I mean, we originally built a configurator. I have a, a quasi-tech background, a, market, a marketing side tech background, and uh, we built a, an online configurator in 2009 when we started the business, and we're about to launch version four of effectively the same online configurator. Just new code base, new UI, but the underlying structure and the pricing model, is, it really hasn't shifted at all. It's changed. You're not having to add you know, chat boxes and different sorts of engagement Our customers aren't using them. Yeah, yeah um, so we watch okay. them. We, we watch technology and... I don't know if it's uh, from Walgreens or Good to Great, but I you know, read that book you know, 15 plus years ago or whatever it is these days. And you know, I always remember one of the lines out of there, I believe, was something along the, to the tune of the appropriate use of technology. And so that's, I've, I've always been you know, tech aligned, but I always, uh, I always qualify any of our tech decisions or directions. And is, is it adding... Um, value to the experience and to the shopping process. You know, are we investing in this because it's whiz bang or because it's meaningful? Yeah, and um, you're selling something too that isn't just like functional. Like, oh, I need this. It's it's, it's aspirational. It's part. Of, it's a very personal decision. Really important. Sound like you're alluding to for the house. So you, you know, you might want to clutter that. Yeah. Right. And right. you envision yourself there. So. Um, I mean, we're in such a day and age of direct-to-consumer businesses. I mean, who would think you would you would just buy mattresses unseen, unfelt, that would show up in a box and right. lay it out as an example? Right. Yeah, that's crazy. That's a setup for your question, Sam. For my question? Yeah. Um, well, one of the things that I wanted to talk about briefly is just ready to ship. That's your, your big sort of 2019 uh, product release. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, actually, uh, ironically enough, the 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 founding concept of Vermont Farm Table was a premium farm table in a box that consumers could assemble at home, and this was um, this goes back twelve years ago or so. Now I was writing these business plans before we ever moved to Vermont, um, and here we are ten years later, finally introducing the product that 
was the original founding concept for the company. Uh, it's like a medical device company timeline, right? You know? Totally. It's, uh, <laughs> Lots of R&D. <laughs> you know, and I, I look at it and I go, why did we take so long to get here? And why? But, you know, what we still don't know is if, if it's going to be successful, right? Because you don't know until you've got a product in the market that you can really push. And, mm-hmm. um, and we don't have, uh, we have very few sales behind it. The packaging just landed last week. Um, but ultimately, it's the one thing that has changed. You asked about the, um, the the buying cycle or the sales process, and consumers' expectations have certainly changed. Uh, we weren't getting toilet paper delivered to our homes by Amazon five years ago, and that's that's a big shift for us. Um, and we've recognized those trends for years. And this is really, um, you know, it's an idea that the Caspers of the world have, but it's. Um, and there's nothing particularly innovative about it. What's what's different for us um, is that we have a reputation for quality, and we actually make things ourselves. And we have the brand. The not Vermont, just an intermediary, right? We're not an intermediary. We're not a marketing company. We're authentically making these products ourselves in our wood shop with our material sourcing. We're doing the branding. We're doing the design. We're doing the fulfillment. Um, there's, there's all kinds of pop-up competitors out there that, uh, are effectively marketing companies. And I spend very little time paying attention to any of them. Um, I would be quite, um, surprised if many of them are still around in two years from the day that I discover them. Um, and so the, the ready to ship product is, um, it's a premium packaged product. That's all the same great quality of materials that we've put into all of our products for the past 10 years. But it's, it's in stock, it's ready to go, it's delivered to you in three to five days, and it's fully returnable. Um, so that lowers the barrier of entry, it lowers the risk. Um, so hard stop. I'm having a dinner party in 10 days. Yep. The table stinks, there's the wrong size. Five days later, I've got a handmade Vermont table showing up. You've got a, a yeah. Is it tough to put together? Nope. It's, um, it's, we worked with a couple of industrial designers here locally and, uh, we're fabricating what we believed were going to be the, um, the golden ticket toward, um, assembly. And after too many months of trying to get the perfect solution, we rolled back down to the absolute most simple solution there is. There's four Allen, Allen bolts. It comes with an That's Allen it. key and four Allen bolts. Right. And Ikea's trained a generation on how to set those up. So, yep. It's super simple to, to put together. It's uh, bomber connections. It's high-quality componentry. Um, it's, you know, it, people have thrown out Ikea before and expected a negative response from me, and I say exactly, but it's better. Yeah, better. yeah I didn't mean it negatively. Yeah, it's just more absolutely. like just do it yourself, but... It's custom furniture. It's custom furniture on the IKEA model. Um, it's it's delivered to you, and and I see the future of our business shifting in that direction. I believe that um, the foundation that we put in place for our ready to ship tables uh, could effectively become the foundation for all of our products. Um, it, there's nothing there's nothing precluding it from heading in that direction. Um, there's no diminishing quality. We didn't cut corners anywhere. We didn't. Uh, dumbed down the materials. In fact, we just kept adding, kept adding, kept adding until it became the product we wanted it to be. So one of the things I, I always think was most sort of exciting is I remember just randomly getting an order or a, some sort of invoice from you know Google or some crazy company that wants Vermont farm tables without any outreach from us. 
And you guys have sort of shifted the business model to kind of proactively go after these types of orders. Can you talk a little bit about how that side of the business has grown and sort of where you see that going? Yeah, absolutely. We, we've had um, we've had a ton of success in the commercial, uh, what's known as the contract sector in our industry. Um, you know, what we found with Vermont Farm Table is our value proposition is really what our, our business model is our value proposition. It's our winning formula. So it's direct from us. It's premium materials. We've cut out the middleman and you're getting more bang for your buck. This is especially true in commercial furniture. And we're learning we're still learning more and more about it every day. Um, we're probably a considerable value within the commercial sector. Um, we're starting to realize that the, the tickets for comparable products are significantly more expensive than our current pricing model. Um, but there again, it's relationship building in the commercial sector. We, um, we've, we were fortunate to have the opportunity to work on a couple of really large jobs at the onset. And um, those jobs were with companies like Google and Verizon and Taylor, JP Morgan Chase, Barclays. And then more locally, we've done projects for the Vermont or the Von Trapp Brewery in Stowe, Vermont. And we just completed the new base lodge at Mount, Stowe, Mount Snow in West Dover. Um, our current quote, pipeline is converting at 75%. And Damn. usually I go, no, I ask all the questions. Damn. <laughs> because no wow. one wants to believe that. And the, what it is, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's our relationship. So what our pipeline has now become is become repeat business with customers who have experience working directly with Vermont Farm Table. Mm -hmm. We wowed them. We met their expectations or beat their expectations. They are in a position where they're putting a lot of money on the table with fixed contracts and fixed timelines, and they have a budget. And as soon as you sidestep or lead them astray, you don't get another chance. But when you outperform everyone else, then they come back and come back and come back. Well, you could almost build a really great business on that, right? It's, it's, it's going to be shocking, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's no wonder a, you're doing accounting, right? Yeah. 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 Um, that's, that's really exciting to, uh, uh, to see how it's evolved that way. Um, and the, uh, you mentioned a little bit about, uh, what you were, you wanted to build a business for 30 years, I think you said at the outset, but you know, what's the, what's the next step here? I mean, do you see this becoming a, a hundred person company or do you sort of tune it to a, uh, a level that you and Jess as, as owner operators can continue to, to manage and run? Have you sort of planned out that next phase? Um, it, it's certainly not a lifestyle business for us and never has been. Um, it's always been a, while it is a business that is focused on home lifestyle and therefore it is a lifestyle business, um, tongue in cheek, it's, um, it's always been something that we wanted to grow and develop. What, what I ultimately wanted to do was build jobs and, um, I wanted to form the type of working environments that I wanted to myself be employed in. And I wanted to form the type of company that I myself wanted to work for. Um, so the future is, uh, is immense for us. We, like, as I said at the onset, I believe it feels like we're just getting started. It feels like things are just starting to click. The team is just forming. The market has finally recognized us at a significant level to continue doing business. We can continue investing in our operations. Um, you know, and one of the things I'm super proud of is that we're we're different. Um, so not only are we a wood manufacturer, but we found a balance in running a business that's specifically in wood manufacturing, but it's cool, it's hip, 
it's clean, it's colorful, it's supportive, it's innovative, it's design forward, and it'll be more and more recognized as a beacon and symbol of what's possible in furniture manufacturing in the years to come. I really want to break the rules and open up new opportunities, and uh, I feel like we've just gotten started with that. Fantastic. Awesome. It's time, isn't it? All right. Well, we have one final question for you that we ask all of our folks, if you've listened before. If you could change one thing in Vermont today, what would it be? Magic wand. You have superpowers today. I could change one thing in Vermont today. I mean, my hesitation is that I wouldn't change anything. I I absolutely that's a perfectly acceptable answer. Vermont. I Rick lo- Cabot said the same thing from uh, yeah, darn tough. I thought you were gonna say a good Mexican restaurant, but I guess yeah, I'm you've trying changed, to think like Justin. you know on the on the candid side, what would I change? God, um, you know, I I would really like to get involved in um, in zoning and planning or whoever administers the highways and the routes and the stoplight configurations and orientations within the state of Vermont. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's I, super geeky. It's totally geeky. <laughs> I, I find it. them like totally confusing and totally Where do you drive baffling. in from then? It, you know, it, it's, it's not only where you drive in from, it's how you drive out too. Cause it's opposite coming one way as it is going the other way. Um, wow. No, that is a great answer. I did see that coming. Neither Sam. did I. Yeah. Wow. Good um, stuff. We will get on it with our urban planning experts. Yeah. <laughs> We'll see what we can do. We're pretty powerful. This has been Start Here with Sam and Dave, a podcast sharing the stories of active, aspiring, and accidental entrepreneurs. The series was made possible by the Vermont Technology Council and Consolidated Communications. Please follow us on Twitter at VSET. That's V-C-E-T. Thanks for listening, and let's get back to the woodlot. Hey, guys. It's Dustin. Thinking more about your question, if I could change anything about Vermont, what would it be? I still wouldn't change anything about Vermont, but I sure would replace New Hampshire with an ocean. Preferably one that has one of the world's top ten intermediate lefts all the way down the shoreline. Anyhow, that'd be my dream, Vermont. All right, see you guys later.